0: Hello and welcome to a brand new Arseblog Arsecast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. I'm in New York City right now. I've just got to my hotel after a pretty horrendous day of travel, a flight that was supposed to take off at 11am was delayed until 2pm and it didn't take off until after 3pm. And despite the fact I booked with Aer Lingus, I ended up going with a company called... What were they called? Wamos Air. Some uh, There was a technical problem with the Aer Lingus plane. Wamos Air stepped into the breach. And look, we're here. We're fine. We're safe. We're sound. But it would be fair to say that this is the kind of plane that the fucking Wright brothers would have considered a bit basic. And uh, got to New York, got to JFK after all the delays, after the seven-hour flight, whatever it was. And there was nowhere to park the fucking plane, so we had to sit on the tarmac for over an hour. So it's been a hell of a day. It's eight o'clock here in New York as I'm recording this, which makes it past yeah one a.m. I think uh, Irish time. So, uh, yes. To say I'm a bit tired and in need of a beer would be something of an understatement. So that's pretty much what I'm going to do. I thought I was going to have loads of time to do the intro and all the bits and pieces for the podcast that I would normally do. Unfortunately, because of all the delays, I don't. However, there is a podcast. You will have to excuse the production values this week. This is not what I was envisaging. However, I did speak to Philippe Clare earlier in the week on Wednesday. We talked about tickets. We talked about Arsenal. We did all that. So without further ado, I'm going to play that for you guys. I'm just going to put the music at the end of it. I'm sorry. There's no end bit. There's no Goodbye. I just need to get this out and up for you guys. So here it is. Here's this week's Arscast. We will have a preview podcast for you on Patreon, by the way. So uh, join us for that at patreon.com forward slash ArseBlog. For now, over and out. Happy listening. And uh, yeah, I think it is time for a beer. Okay, joining me now on the ArsCast, delighted to welcome back, Philippe Eau Claire. Hello, Philippe. Hello to you. Can we start by talking about the issues surrounding Arsenal's game against Chelsea, which this week was moved at very late notice from Saturday at 5.30 on the 29th of April to Tuesday, uh, May 2nd at 8pm. Now, given the fact that Arsenal are playing Manchester City on Wednesday away from home, there are obvious benefits to the team and the players because it gives them more time to recover. But the game was already rescheduled to this 5.30 p.m. TV slot. People from all around the world and all around the UK, for that matter, have made travel plans and booked hotels and booked flights and all of those things. The explanation we have is that there are issues with policing levels because of the coronation which is taking place the following weekend so police apparently are being told to take leave the weekend before that means that they can't then provide sufficient cover to police this game even though they said they could do it if the game took place earlier on Saturday which you know you you make uh, your own mind up on how credible that sounds um, I suppose the question I have is like uh, the wider issue rather than the specifics of this game is Yet again, fans who pay a lot of money to travel, whether they're coming from the north of Scotland, the south of England, North America, all over Europe, wherever it is, are being left out of pocket. And beyond being left out of pocket, many of them are now unable to get to a game that might have been their only chance to see Arsenal this season. Could be their first chance to see Arsenal uh, Mm. in their whole Arsenal-supporting lives. I mean, does there need to be a rethink as to how games are scheduled and maybe a moratorium put on the time frame uh, after which changes cannot be made?
1: I think this uh, is a dossier that should be put on the table of the football regulator as soon as there is a football regulator in, uh, in England. Because I'm like you, I'm, I'm I'm a bit shocked um, I'm personally, I'm grateful for it because I couldn't have made the, the game if it had been on the original scheduled uh, date and now I will be able to be there. But, uh, that's not, uh, that's a very, very, uh, very thin silver lining. It's, it's, it's just appalling. As you say, um, I mean, it's bad enough for all the people who live, um, you know, in Highbury and, uh, We'll have to reschedule things, but when you consider the amount of uh, supporters we've got and genuine fans who are making huge efforts uh, to come to a game, knowing how appallingly difficult it is to get tickets and now how appalling the situation is with touting as well, which is one thing we should be talking about at some stage, Andrew, the situation with tickets at at the Grove is uh, simply unacceptable. Um, yeah, I mean, we did and, have a
0: conversation last week with, with Tim Payton from the Arsenal oh, Supporters right. Trust about this on, on the podcast. So it is something we have addressed. But, yeah, it is obviously a very, very big issue.
1: Yeah, it, it is a huge issue. And the problem is that uh, there, are, there is no compensation, no mitigation. Uh, I'll take an example uh, because I, I've literally just received a, an email from a, a music venue Uh, I was supposed uh, to go to a a concert by Ron Carter, you know, the great jazzer, Mm -hmm. uh, who was unable to make the first gig. And then we were immediately uh, asked by the venue if we wanted to have a full refund of the tickets or if we wanted to be kept to to keep our tickets and go to the next one. But uh, there would be a full refund. Um, Now, maybe not a full refund of our travel expenses, but at least there was a lot of... uh, uh, we were given plenty of time to make up our minds. And then there is mitigation in place. In this particular case, there isn't any. Um, it's not as if the club said, well, you know, because of that, if you can't make it and you had a valid ticket and you booked a, a hotel room and and a flight or a train journey and we'll compensate you for that, at least in part, and there's nothing of that kind. And it will never happen, will it? So. no. Yes, it's uh, when you look at it, uh, when you think about all the song and dance which has been made about the fantastic support that the home crowd has been giving the team throughout the season, which, is, which has been absolutely unbelievable at times, uh, that really, um, that stinks. Uh, this said, it's not um, a, an issue which only concerns Arsenal, and you could say that in this particular case, Arsenal have got absolutely nothing to do with it, that it was a decision that was taken by other parties, external to football, and which yet again, uh, shows that uh, football fans come very, very low in the list of priorities of people who should be given any attention when decisions of that kind are made. Um, this is part of the general um, view of football in which fans are commodities. Um, mm. And basically, you're, they're expected to do their job, which is to provide atmosphere uh, and and support, and therefore enable the Premier League to sell itself as a as a vibrant uh, competition and, and so forth. But then when it comes to, uh, when matters comes to a head, you know, we, we don't care. So television is the first uh, thing, obviously, that uh, uh, will have, a, uh, the broadcasters will have a say in when exactly the, the games are held. Uh, I mean, it's bad. It's not awful. I mean, it's worse in other countries. I mean, you know, you know well about Spanish football. For the sure, fact that, yeah. You know, there there it is. It it's it's reached a kind of summum in the in the ridiculous. Um we're not quite at that stage, but when it comes to that, yeah, I mean the the stadium will be full somehow. It will be. Mm. But loads of people will be out of pocket by considerable amounts of money. And and there will be no compensation, no mitigation, just a, a vague apology, which doesn't cost much really.
0: No, I mean the the statement from the Met Police said that this was a preventative and proactive measure to help mitigate antisocial behavior and crime associated with later weekend kickoffs. And I think, on the one hand, I mean- we have to accept the reality that, but like football and football fans, um, there is a measure of policing required. But at the same time, it always seems to be the case that when something like this happens, when, for example, games were postponed earlier in the season and the reason given was uh, well maybe it wasn't the reason but it was strongly intimated that football fans could not be trusted Mm. to maintain a minute silence for the passing of the queen it seems like the easiest thing to do is point the finger at football fans there's always going to be a small minority who are you know a Uh, blackguards or whatever, you know, that's, that's something we have to acknowledge. But at the same time, the vast majority of football fans will go and support their team and behave perfectly, um, you know, throughout a season. So I, I find that part of it quite annoying that football fans, because of the actions of a very small minority are all labeled or put in one group as an excuse to implement something like this?
1: yep. Uh, so it's um, always the same principle that um, the actions of a minority serve as uh, uh, an explanation or, or a reason, a justification for uh, actually imposing uh, measures which affect absolutely every single one of us. Um, that's unfortunately the way it goes, I would say, particularly in England, but not just in England, but particularly in England, um, as to the antisocial behavior of fans on a Saturday uh, afternoon or evening. um, I have to say I'm a little bit confused as to how moving that to an 8 p.m. kickoff (laughs) (laughs) on a Tuesday night is going to make it better, because I would think, I mean, most of those problems that there are at football grounds, and to be honest, um, we don't have many at the Grove, do we? Are, are linked to people who drink too much and maybe uh, uh, do uh, ingest other substances before the games, and therefore uh, have a, a, a kind of behaviour that is uh, simply not acceptable. But how is that going to make it easier? I don't. I do not quite understand. 8 p.m. is even later. People will be some people will be really tanked up as well coming to that game. And okay, it's a, it's a London derby against one of our fiercest rivals, but it's not a fixture, despite what people would would believe, which has created huge problems in the past. Sure. Uh, and uh, so the argument doesn't stand, and um, it, it looks really as if the uh, what what the fans have to, to deal with was not even taken into the equation because surely if you were trying to take a balanced decision and say, okay, well, this is putting pressure on police forces, but police is saying, well, you know, we, we could do it. Okay, fine. Um, and on the other hand, you say, well, for fans, what are the consequences? Well, the consequences are in some cases people will lose a lot of money. People won't be able to see their club uh, this goes for Chelsea fans, by the way, as well as for Arsenal fans. But that doesn't matter. In a way, fans can be taken out of the equation. Um, yeah, it is part, I suppose, of a, 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 a trend, uh, which is more than a trend, which is a fact, that, again, uh, fans are assets, commodities, chattel, uh, which can be basically be disposed of, um, be managed, whichever way suit whoever takes the decision. And... Uh, is there a way out of it? As I said, it's a dossier that should be on the um, regulator's table as soon as there is a regulator. How, um, how
0: soon do you think there will be a regulator?
1: Well, I have no idea because the the process, um, I mean, we have been told should be a quick one. But uh, when you look at the document in more detail, you realize that there's an awful lot of leeway uh, as to how uh, the clubs will be able to carry on functioning the usual way, that uh, self-regulation and dialogue and interaction will be at the heart of it. It won't be the regulators saying, well, from now on, you can't do that, guys. No, there will be consultation, blah. So you can imagine it's going to take a long time. And, you know, it's exactly the same thing as uh, uh, moving games to uh a day when you know that there are no trains uh, on that particular line, which happens all the time. Yeah, for away fans, uh,
0: and- for example, like you get uh, uh, play. You have to play Newcastle at eight pm on a Monday night, and the last train from Newcastle to London leaves at seven forty-five.
1: Yes, or uh, you know perfectly well because um, uh, the TFL as uh, TFL not TFL but the uh, Network Rail has announced that there will be. Um, uh, works on the line between London and Manchester or London and Liverpool or whatever. On that particular day, you know that, but you still put the game on that day doing full well that people won't have a means to go there by public transport. I mean, I was looking, I saw, I saw the other day on Twitter, somebody posting a um, uh, a little leaflet which had been done by, by Network Rail or British Rail at the time it was for... A, a an FA Cup game. It was might have been between Leicester and Arsenal. Actually, a replay or something like that. Right. It doesn't really matter. But anyway, this was back in the 1970s, and the announcement was that uh, because there had a sec- they, there was a, a replay between those two clubs. Uh, British Rail had decided to add extra services on that particular day to enable <laughs> football fans to go to the ground. Crazy. And not, on- not only that. Wait a minute. So there were two special trains, which is you know. Um, and to be honest, these trains were a bit lively mm. uh, for those who have ever taken one of those services. <laughs> but anyway, so British Rail well even said uh, the uh, in case this goes to extra time or there's a delay, uh, the train will wait at the station for an extra half hour. This was like 50 years ago, almost 40 years ago, and and the price of the ticket return put in today's money was 12 pounds. <laughs> Things have changed a little bit, haven't they? Mm, so privatization, uh, yeah, and and so the, the well, which is basically this is the way a public service should function because it's a service for the public. Yeah, um, so it's it's all part, yes, as you say, of this. Uh, uh, how would you call it? Uh, so like we the fans are falling lower and lower, and lower down the food chain. While at the same time, fans are asked more and more and more uh, to to you know, in order to support their team, to pay more. I mean, I was talking to a Fulham fan just a few minutes ago who told me that some of their season tickets, the price had almost doubled and that there were now season tickets at Fulham Football Ground, uh, which were £3,000 a year, which is... What the fuck? Yeah, I know, I know. And not in the executive suite, right? So, um, yeah, it it is... uh, at, At times, you know, you just think, well, what can we do? I mean, there is nothing we can do. We're just caught in this spiral of Mm. exploitation. And people are only too keen to, well, it's not that they're only too keen, but they don't have much of a choice. And they don't have much of a voice either. Um, You know, we are, I, I imagine if the same thing had been decided in Germany, I think actually the same thing would not have been decided in Germany. I don't think it would have happened. Because the reaction would have been so brutal uh, from the fan organisations, and also because they have, some say, in the way the football is run in their country, uh, I don't think we would have this happening. So it's basically yes, fans are pushed further and further and further uh, to to the periphery, and um, and as a result, we see that a game which is now postponed to uh, 8 p.m. on a weekday. Thank thank you very much, guys. Yeah, really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, I mean. Yeah, you think of people I know that it's a case of caveat emptor and all the rest but when you do buy tickets from some of these sites I know there'll be people out there who don't have any sympathy for somebody who buys a ticket via one of these third-party websites whatever it might be They they overpay because that's the only way they can get a ticket it doesn't mean they're not genuine fans it doesn't mean that they're Loss uh, should be written off either, um, and that's nope. you know that's part of the conversation that we had with Tim um, last week about tickets, about touts, about these third-party websites. Just really again to stress to people to to be really careful because you know even if you get your ticket in the end, something like this could happen. It could com- uh, completely mess up your trip. Um, look, I'm sure this won't be the last conversation that we're going to have about the way fans are treated. So um we'll see what happens and uh, i feel sorry for anybody who who has their flights accommodation all the rest for the chelsea game and and now is um you know troubled or or can't go to that uh, that newly arranged date i do want to move on though i want to talk about arsenal and where we are and things you know since we mm-hmm. last talked have been pretty good they've been going well obviously there is a game uh, that t- that took place uh, at Anfield, a 2-2 draw, one which left Arsenal fans with mixed emotions, given the fact mm. that we were 2-0 up, given the fact that Aaron Ramsdale was the hero right at the end. How do you, now that the dust has settled a little bit, how do you assess a game like that against Liverpool? Do you have to view it in the same way as, you know, you know, the way they say with a Derby, the North London Derby f- form goes out the window, all that kind of stuff. You know, given the history of this fixture and the amount of late goals that there have been at Anfield down the years, is it a game that you kind of have to just put in a box on its own and look at as a kind of one-off? Or is it maybe just a case that when you're 2-0 up against Liverpool, you need to be better or smarter? Or how do you view it now after a few days of, of coming to terms with what we saw?
1: Well, I haven't really come to terms with it is my honest answer. Okay. Is that um, I think one way of looking at it is that uh, I think sometimes we spend far too much time trying to make sense of what happens on, on the football pitch. Uh, I think an awful lot of, of things happen uh, that we do not have any control over, that the players themselves maybe do not even have control over. Um, and that, I, I would say for once, I, I completely agree with what Roy Keane said uh, after the game. And when he was asked about, you know, I mean, the question was not exactly about that game, but it was about oh, uh, what did it take uh, to win the treble? You know, they were talking, obviously, about Manchester City and comparison to Arsenal. And, and mm. uh, the question was put with Gary Neville, but Roy Keane interrupted and he said, look. And I thought, yeah, absolutely. That's great to hear it for once that, yeah, it's luck. Um, and yes, I would be tempted to put that game in a box like I would put most game, games in a box. They all have their own logic or absence of logic. Uh, they're all flowing. I mean, they, they, they are never set in stone. Uh, the, the fact is that we consider them after the event. Uh, we've got result, as, uh, result bias, obviously. We kind of apply teleology, to use a philosophical term, but backwards, so thinking, oh, it ended that way, so it was always meant to end to end that way, which is... Completely the wrong way to look at football. It doesn't mm-hmm. work like that, mm-hmm. and um, so uh, it's 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 something that uh, that particular game to me. Uh, I I still haven't made complete sense of it because I don't think you can make complete sense of it. Um, I've written a, a, a column for Eurosport about the completely ridiculous things which have been said about Granit Xhaka and. And the impact that the fact that he lost his rag a bit after Trent Alexander-Arnold had lost his, to be absolutely honest, which, of course, nobody's uh, pointing out, um, it was in somehow the moment, the defining moment. We have absolutely no idea of that. Absolutely no idea. Uh, maybe Liverpool would have reacted anyway. Maybe they wouldn't. I don't know. I can't tell you. It didn't happen. Um, what happens if... Um, Gabi Martinelli finds Bukayo Saka with the last chance, what was the really the last chance of the game, and we win 3-2. Mm. And then nobody would be talking about Granit Xhaka, nobody would be talking about the great reaction by Liverpool. Or they would talk about it, but they would say Arsenal found the resources yet again late in the game. Nearly did, nearly did. Mm. It's just it, it was just a matter of inches, as are all these games. So... The one thing that I'm worried about about this game is certainly not the result or the performance. I thought the performance was by and large actually pretty damn good. Uh, and yes, we were under the caution. You've already talked about that. But some, I mean, for once, uh, Arteta's changes didn't really necessarily make sense for once. But it can happen. happens to the best. Mm-hmm. Um, but... It's more the impact that it can have on, on the team as a whole if they really see that as being two points dropped, but in the, a negative way.
0: I mean, Aaron Ramsdale was on Sky afterwards and, you know, I watched his interview and I watched Mikel Arteta come on afterwards. And Arteta was, you know, he he's very careful with what he says, but he's also a guy who kind of wears his heart on his sleeve. So, you know... Yeah. What sort of a mood he's in when he's talking to the press, whether it's post game or pre game or whatever it is, you know, you can you can tell. Um, He was really upbeat about the way Arsenal played in the first half, and he he talked about how nobody had done that. And Ramsdale was saying the manager is, you know, in the dressing room talking about the the positives of, of this. I mean, I would have had a real worry going into these last 8 games if having been 2-0 up at Anfield we had lost and one of those late chances went in and you have that kind of soul crushing defeat yeah you know the, the conceding a late goal to lose a game there is rarely a worse feeling in football as we know we've been there we've experienced it everybody i think has experienced that in 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 their lives as a football fan as an Arsenal fan or, or otherwise so I do wonder if you know that that message of positivity that exists within the dressing room is you know is part of the the way Arteta is managing the squad you know the one game at a time okay we didn't win this game against Liverpool we were 2-0 up but look at what we still did and we had what it you know in, in the end as hair-raising as it was you know, what, what's the equivalent to a goalkeeper pulling off a string of saves? Is it the same as a striker in the last five minutes banging in a mm. couple of goals? It might be.
1: Yeah, you know? it might be. And we've taken 22 points out of a possible 24 since the defeat to Manchester City. Yeah. So, you know, what's the problem, guys? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's ridiculous. And, and, and which is also part of the equation is the fact that, you know, Running be behind us at the moment is a team that, that looks pretty nigh- unstoppable and um, every time it, it sets on the pitch, um, uh, which, again, was the case yesterday when they played against Bayern. Even though Bayern were quite threatening at times, but you felt at one point where the machine started to uh, to get its act together, it was fairly impressive. So uh, they, they're setting a standard in terms of, of results and points that is almost unheard of in the history of the game in England, which is one thing we also tend to forget. What is happening is not normal. In any normal season, the title should be ours. And because we're so far better than anybody else, apart from the the other guys. Um, So, which again, you know, it's, it's a question of perception, is how you change the perception that the players themselves have had of it. You could say, actually, that they're a huge disappointment at the end, despite the fact that uh, you know they were pummeled um, in in the last few minutes shows that the disappointment was the fact that they really believed they should have won that, and that in effect was the the kind of disappointment that you 're happy with. They were not banging their fists, you know thinking yeah well yeah, we yeah. saved we, at least we saved the point so this is how high their ambition uh, how high their their aim is how big their ambition is so that's that 's not too bad but the the other thing is that i 'm I'm a little bit surprised that people, um, most people anyway, uh, when we look at the run-in and, and compare the run-ins and everybody's pointing at the game on 26th of April and obviously at, at Manchester City. I genuinely don't think this is going to be decided there. Um, what's going to happen is that either Manchester City or Arsenal or both are going to drop a city point um, or city two points or three at a place that you don't expect. Exactly like Manchester City dropped two points against Nottingham Forest after having absolutely slaughtered them for the whole game. And then literally, within the last few seconds, they grabbed an equalizer. Who could have seen that coming? Uh, you, you, I mean, I have a funny feeling that, in a way, um, our, our friends from Brighton uh, are going to play a big role in that a very big role in that because they're chasing a European place as well. They're a really tough side and they're exactly the kind of side that can cause problems to, um, to Manchester City, the way and, they play. And they, they could might. also be blown apart, by the way. Yeah. And they will be playing at home and so forth. So I, I can't see, I mean, it's completely possible that uh, we, we have problems at West Ham. They're struggling as well. Um, they, they're fighting for their survival, but it might be that um, unbelievably, uh, Leicester, who are also fighting for their survival, um, uh, are able to take a point from City this weekend. I mean, it's <laughs> we, we, we have um, the, the way we redu- reduce, in a way, what's happening in the league to what is happening between the big clubs when they meet a- each other is, is very strange, especially in a situation where we're still six points ahead. Is Should, it, yeah. like, is, has everybody forgotten about
0: that? No, I don't think so. I think, you know, clearly everybody understands. You know, I think Arsenal fans obviously understand what it is going to take to beat Manchester City to this title. Because as you say, yeah. you know, I've seen a lot of people talk about, um, not Arsenal fans, but I've seen a lot of commentary. And I know a lot of commentary out there is, is sort of designed to generate engagement and clicks and all that kind yeah. of stuff. But the idea that you know, if Arsenal don't win the title, it's somehow a bottle job, that somehow we've thrown it away. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, you, you touched on it there, but I did want to ask you about this, that, you know, what, what's happened in the Premier League in recent years because of what Man City have built in the yeah. way that they have built it is that in order to win the title, you need to be practically perfect from yep. the first game of the season through to the last game of the season. Yep. And I think we've come pretty close so far this season to being that, which is huge credit to the players and the manager and everything else. But at the same time, it is an unrealistic sporting bar, if you like. You know what I mean? Yeah. For the bar to be set that high is, as you say, Unrealistic. It's not normal in any no. in any legitimate, healthy sporting competition for that to be the case.
1: Yes, but that's the way um, European football has turned. Um, it was thus with um, you know uh, to beat Bayern in the Bundesliga, even if they've had their own problems this season. You have to be near perfect as well, and. And the fact is, nobody has been near perfect enough <laughs> for the mm. last, what, 10 years there? Yeah. Uh, to break into the top two in, in Spain is the same thing. At one point, it was the same when Juventus was working, uh, you know, uh, also an interesting system uh, <laughs> in terms of fin- the finances. Uh, but it was the same uh, in France, obviously, this PSG is that yeah. no matter how hard they try to fuck it up, they don't fuck it up in the end or very very rarely. I mean it's it's happened in France. Lille managed to do it, Montpellier managed to do it, but that in itself was seen as a miracle. And if you in a league as well, which is supposed to be the most competitive in the world, I mean, what a joke, um that you you think that you need a hundred or something between ninety-five and a hundred points to win the title, that's insane. Yeah. That's absolutely insane. It's never happened. The the great Liverpool side of the 1970s and 1980s didn't get that kind of, uh, of points. Uh, the great, uh, you know, you can, the great Real Madrid uh, of uh, when they were winning everything in, in, in Europe, you know, with Di Stefano Puschgas, Copa, and all the others, they were not winning the league by, by the equivalent of 20 points ahead of, of the competition. It mm. didn't happen. And it was considered normal that there would be setbacks. And, and I 'm not even sure that what happened at Liverpool, who we shouldn't forget beat Manchester City at home one nil, a completely atomized uh, Manchester United and have actually the third best, third best uh, home record, I believe, behind uh, Man City and Arsenal in the league this season. the fact that we take a point from there and that we've taken four points out of six out of a team which uh, at this stage last year was going for an unprecedented quadruple. Mm. Uh, I mean, we have to put, take all this into consideration. And I'm sure, by the way, this is these are also things that Arteta his staff and his players will, will be talking about, saying, guys, you know, we can only do what we can do. The other chaps up in Manchester, they'll do what they have to do and so forth. If we carry on, we'll win this. Mm. It's It's just as simple as that. If we take one point at Manchester City, that's enough. We could even lose at Manchester City and carry on and win the title. And it should be normal. It's, it should be the way. And the, the fact that it can be presented as uh, it's a bottling job or whatever is insane. It's absolutely insane. And, but unfortunately, uh, it's the way some people like to present it. Because, again, it's the, I often bore people to death but, about this, but it's the tyranny of the narrative. Yeah. And uh, there has to be a narrative somewhere, even when the narrative is chaos, and most narratives in in football are chaos narratives. Uh, it's confusion. It it makes no sense. I mean, does it make sense that um, we we beat Bournemouth three uh, two, you know, I, I in March uh, with Reese Nelson scored that glorious goal in the ninety eighth minute? Of course, it doesn't make sense. Did, mm. did it show that we we were the best team in the league? It didn't. Of course not. It just happened, and it just showed that this team has so much belief in itself and, and such talent and such momentum that they were able somehow to pull out you know the, the rabbit from the hat uh and other days the rabbit stays in the hat um and in other days there's no rabbit in the hat whatsoever to be pulled out <laughs> and uh, let's just enjoy enjoy the ride it's 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 thrilling i mean we, we we're living that's the thing we have to remind ourselves we we're living at the moment one of the most thrilling seasons that i think any of us has actually ever lived um, supporting that club. Um, and that is priceless. Uh, we're having more fun than the Man City guys. I hope so. I hope we have no, more no, we fun. Are. Th- yeah, we are no, no, because no. they're so entitled and so smart. Yes. Yeah. You know, that, that for them, it's, it's normal. You know, it's that they're, they're disappointed if Erling Holland doesn't score seven goals in a game, I think. <laughs> it's gone to that stage. Um, and they're very good. I mean, it's not to disparage them. Uh, whatever we think of the model, and I think everybody who listens to to this will know what we think of the model and the way it's run, and that maybe at some point there will be a comeuppance for that, but we don't know, uh, we can't say. Um, but they 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 are, they are a phenomenal team, and the fact that we are ahead of them at the moment, well, what can I say? Well done, guys.
0: Um, I mean, you talked about hoping that someone like. Leicester might take points off Man City. You know, it is... Yeah, that, that we, might be
1: actually Sure. beyond I, I, hope. I back. know,
0: I know. Look, I think, you know, we, we, we know that it's possible. In, yeah. You know, in football, anything is possible, but we also know it's unlikely. And I did want to ask you about some comments that Mikel Arteta made about the Premier League. Yeah and whether it's the most competitive that there's uh, the the if this is the most competitive premier league and he said for me I've been in this league 20 21 years I've never seen anything like this he said because of the level the level of the managers the level of organization quality of teams the individual quality of players uh, the capacity to change teams and players and formations it's something nobody has seen before and I do think that's interesting as we hold out hope that that one of these teams that, you know, on paper can't or shouldn't be able to take points off Manchester City will do exactly that while we don't allow that to happen to us. But do you think that this strength of the Premier League in that, like, there's no easy games, anyone can beat anyone, et cetera, et cetera, but is that more evident this season in the bottom half of the table rather than the top half given yeah. how tight it is down at the bottom how many teams are still in this relegation fight if you want to call it that it does look a bit difficult for Southampton now they're a little bit adjourned but teams like Everton like Forest, like Leicester like uh, West Ham like Wolves you know they're all down there all of these teams have incredible players an incredible array of talent you know but because of how competitive this league is, they're being sucked into this this relegation battle.
1: Yeah, and what has changed, I think, the most is the fact that um, uh, it used to be the case that teams that were promoted, for example, from the championship, um, were immediately uh, put as favourites for relegation uh, the season uh, after that. Um, I'm not necessarily just talking about the Premier League era, mm. but it, it was, it's, which is quite quite logical, you know, Um, But the way it works these days is quite different. I mean, look at the teams which at the moment are going to be promoted directly from the championship. We've got Burnley and probably Sheffield United, right? Yeah. So you have two teams which, in fact, have been Premier League regulars over the past few seasons and who have been able to maintain their financial superiority at the lower level to keep hold of some of their players as well, which they didn't used to be able to in the past. Um, So therefore, the, 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 the... the border is blurred up to a point. It's blurred. And and instead of having four or five teams fighting against relegation, you will have eight or nine. And um, it, it, the, the mid-table has become a dangerous place to be in. If you, I mean, I exaggerate when I say that. But look at Fulham, for example. At one point, we were all thinking, oh, they're going for... A place in Europe. The way they're working is fantastic. At the moment, the wheels seems to have, well, they're a bit wobbly, aren't they? Yeah. And again, talking to my Fulham friend this morning, he was saying, you know, I'm, I'm not absolutely convinced that we're out of the fight <laughs> against the regulation. And of course, it's it's the paranoia of the football fans. Sure, it's quite logical. But they've got 39 points, and teams have been relegated with 42. We know that. Um, it's very, very unlikely, because there are so many be- behind the work Worse in fact that they are yeah. but it's it's the, the 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 frame of mind has has changed, and there is now this uh the, the competition yes is is absolutely fierce is that between, is that a good thing? thing do you but, think
0: it's a yeah. good thing for the Premier League
1: <sighs> I think the best thing would be if that was the case at the top rather than the case at the bottom I mean we all like a relegation scrap i mean seen from the outside, sure we enjoy that um but the, the, the fact is that there is now, um, I mean, whatever, whichever way we, we look at it, and since Leicester won the title and it was a miracle in a very, very strange year when nobody was quite working all right. And, and maybe we missed a trick that, that season, by the way. Oh, yeah. Ourselves. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but since then, it's been pretty much two teams, right? I mean, three with, because Chelsea doing what Chelsea does. Up, down, up, down from one season to the next, but it's been Manchester City and Liverpool, mm. and they're so far ahead of the rest. And you know, we with them, uh, we can expect that uh, from next year onwards, um, unbelievably and and to be and for me unforgivably, Newcastle United is going to be allowed to uh, to carry on um, progressing and uh, improving, getting better players, spending more hundreds of millions mm. um, to to get where they want to be, and then. We have also the prospect of Manchester United doing exactly the same thing, if indeed, as um, we are told, even though there's a third round of bidding, the Qataris are in pole position to take it. Well, we know exactly what's going to happen. So the the whole thing of the, the competitiveness, it's actually quite revealing that every time we've got um, a game like this, Liverpool-Arsenal, which, by the way, we don't have very often, it was an astonishing and, and, and a fabulous game. and. It, it, commentators, analysts, and people who try to sell the Premier League have every time to, to tell us this is what Premier League is all about. Well, no, not necessarily. The Premier League can also be about a, a crap nil-nil between, I don't know, um, uh, Tottenham <laughs> and Brentford. Uh, uh, well, actually, I think Brentford. Brentford are exciting to watch, but yeah, i, I and us. It can be, you know, it can yeah. be anything. The Premier League is also that. Actually, most of the Premier League, is actually not that thrilling. Um, the results, you know, can be a bit surprising at times. But the idea that it is a super competitive league in which there are no easy games is 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 wrong. All the games are tough, and and I think that we're also victim of another uh, misperception. Is because it is true that the level, of the technical level, tactical level, and physical level is very very high. Um, that is true, and it's probably when you look at leagues in the uh, as a whole. It is the uh, uh, On this level, yes, it is better and uh, ahead of other leagues. But the, the level of engagement, the speed of the game makes us think that it is more competitive than it, than it actually is, if you see what I mean. Mm. We get lost a bit in the chaos of it because it goes very fast, because it's uh, crash, bam, wallop, uh, all these sort of things. And, and then we think, oh, that's competitive. No, it's not competitive. It's just the co- teams are competing, yes, doesn't mean that they're competitive there's a big difference between the two and and we you know how many um I, I haven't got the table in front of me but um the i should have a look at you i should put the table in, in front of me i mean that that should take take me long um because at this stage of the season i think it is uh, quite unusual that we have i'm looking at the bottom here um Okay, thank you. Oh dear, my computer is going mad. Well, maybe you've got the table in, in <laughs> front have. of you. I have, I uh, Okay, okay, sorry. Oh, here we go. Right, Southampton, who've been absolutely crap, still have 23 points. You know, they're not Derby County of the uh, good old days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, they could, they're supposed to be the worst of the worst, and, and they've been pretty bad but they might end up the season with more than 30 points. And so we've got eight points between 13th and 20th place. That's nothing. That's absolutely nothing. Mm. And I, I can't remember from in life of me of a, a season like that. Um, and, and, and the differentials are absolutely, I mean, colossal. I mean, we, we are now 20 points ahead of, of Tottenham. We are fifth? That's crazy. Huge, isn't you know, it? Yeah. yeah, we're 17 points ahead of Manchester United. I mean, we could carry on like that. It's, it's, it's crazy. But again, it follows the, the template of what recent seasons have been, as in some teams dominate, um, ab- I mean, in almost um, uh, hegemonious fashion. Uh, the league, it just happens this year, there are two teams that you wouldn't have expected to be in this top four, which is uh, Newcastle United in third position at the moment, and ourselves at the top. Yeah. You wouldn't have expected that. But apart from that, there, there are some patterns which are repeated and uh, which have to do with um, tactical excellence, yes, and all that, but especially with spending. So uh, uh, I think that what we're looking at is um, the, the only thing that I'm crossing everything. that I'm not absolutely sure that we can replicate this kind of season. That's the only thing that, that bothers me or worries me a little bit. But when I look at it and I'm thinking, uh, don't worry about it, just be happy. about what what we're witnessing. You know, don't project yourself in the future. There's absolutely no point in that.
0: Well, yeah, we've got enough to worry about between now and the end of this season without starting to worry about next season already. Um, So the final thing I just wanted to talk to you about very quickly was the fact now that with Gabriel Jesus back, we Mm -hmm. have uh, a striker who has returned from injury after a long scoring drought before injury. He's now got three goals in his last um, four games, or in the four games since he returned. And it gives Mikel Arteta a conundrum at times, but I'm sure one that he will absolutely relish, given that he's got Gabriel Martinelli, he's got Bakayo Saka, he's got Leandro Trossard. He has a four-into-three situation, assuming that these guys can stay fit, you know, for the, for the remaining eight games. Is that the biggest possible positive that Arsenal can take into these final fixtures is the fact that they have players who can contribute and have contributed and who are able to contribute big goals in big games Mm. without us wondering where are these goals going to come from and that's not even taking into account you know uh, Granit Xhaka who scored a lot this season uh, Martin Odegaard has scored a lot from midfield, and I do think there's a conversation to be had about those goals from midfield and how important they are you know, to a team in a season like this. But just to sort of round this off, this front four that he has got, finding the balance or, or finding the combinations for the specific games feels like this could be the key to success in in the fixtures that we have coming up.
1: I, I I agree with you entirely, and I would add also. I, I have to say, I would add Emil Smithrow to the equation. He, you, you never know; he might have a big contribution to make at some point, just like Rhys Nelson made one against Bournemouth. So there is there there are solutions there, mm. and there, there are ways to um, actually to chop and change. And you know, of course, you you can you can deploy Leonardo Frosar as a as as a, a shadow nine or a fake nine. Uh, he offers something very different. I have to say, I, I absolutely love everything he does when he comes on the pitch. He has an instant impact on, on what he does, and it, it is different. He, he's a different kind of player to, to Bukayo Saka, for example. Sure. Uh, and, um, and Gabriel Martinelli as well. The thing is that these players also are players who can play at a number of positions. You can imagine Gabriel Martinelli playing in, down the middle. There's absolutely no problem. You can imagine Troy sampling at every single spot uh, across the the front three, and I would put it against Bukayo Saka to be able to do that as well. <laughs> if he were asked to, I think he's talented enough for that. Uh, whereas Gabriel Jesus can also play as a winger. You know, you've got all these situations, and and the reason why we are here is because we've scored 72 goals in 30 games. Now I don't know how uh, how good your numbers are um, uh, on on this, but how long is it since we've been scoring at something like uh, it's quite crazy, 2.4 goals a game. Wow. I mean, well, I mean last,
0: is, last season we scored 61 goals in 38 games. So, you know,
1: that's yeah, not anywhere close to I'm thinking to that. even if you're going back to the glorious Wenger years, uh, I think, I can't remember how many goals were was the maximum, but I would imagine that we're going to go beyond that, no? Um, well, I'll have I, a look at you know, the...
0: Invincible yeah. season here, we scored <laughs> amazingly in the invincible season. We scored 73 goals in 38 that was games to 74. Yeah, yeah, but wow, we
1: had a diff- yeah, I know. Holy, I mean, that's crazy. I think that gives the right perspective as to what we're doing at the moment, and when we're looking at the players we had going forward in attack in that great team we had some of the greatest players in the history, not just of Arsenal Football Club, but of the English League, and you could serve European football. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's exactly what I was pointing at. I, I was going to say 74 is 73, mm. and, but um, it's it's remarkable. So yes, I agree with you entirely. It, this is what the success is going to be built on, because there, there are going to be a few shaky moments at the back. We know that we're still not quite absolutely watertight. Um, I mean, I've... Uh, Sorry, you hear my sigh. It's because I've I've I, I've heard people criticising Zinchenko, and I, I just sometimes you know I'm not a, a, a violent person at all, <laughs> but there are moments like in in, in in virtual terms I think you know could you just shut up because you were nutmegged? That's it. You're the worst left back we ever had in the history of the club, uh, and I I, I just it makes me so angry this kind of nonsense. But it's true that we do take risks that, um, you know, we sometimes we're a bit, a bit exposed. It's true that, uh, I mean... Uh, it's risk-reward, rewar- isn't it? And and for yeah. most
0: of the season, it's been more reward than risk.
1: But you're going to get caught out from been time successful to time. Yeah. In, this, in this league recently, I mean, the two most successful teams in this league have been Liverpool and Manchester City. Both of them are teams which actually do take quite large risks in the way they play. I think, uh, even Manchester City. I, I mean, yeah, Liverpool, Liverpool too. Yeah. So, sorry.
0: I mean, I was going to say, I think Tim, Tim Stillman, I heard him talk about this where basically, I, I think he said, Allison is the goalkeeper who saved the most one-on-one situations. <laughs> and yeah. and that tells you, and, and this is with a defense with Van Dijk that's been held together, you know? So there is an element of, you know, you you count on the quality of the players you have back there to bail you out when those
1: situations arise. Exactly. The same way that um, we can thank Aaron Ramsdale for an absolutely magnificent uh, performance, which, by the way, he, he found himself, I don't know, it just crossed my mind. He found himself in those last few minutes in the same situation he used to find himself in the teams that he played for before. It's it, he's used to that. Yeah, he's used to mayhem in the box because he was def- he was the last rampart of defense in teams that were down for relegation yeah. and we were yeah. which were pummeled shot after shot after shot. And he relishes that. it's, it's obviously absolutely loves it and is totally in his element. So. Yeah, uh, it's uh, everybody will have to uh, to have to play their part, um, and um, but obviously it's upfront that we're looking for for the solutions. Carry on scoring as many goals as we are, and we should be fine.
0: Well, let's leave it to that uh, front four to do the business, um, and fingers crossed they can do that. We we'll leave it there for now. Philippe as ever great to talk
1: to you. My pleasure.